0: I believe it was on Sunday from John fifteen five. Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if Jesus is aiding us, it is through the applied work of the Spirit now in our life. So Good. I think that's a legitimate reason, theologically, that it would be somewhat accurate, but also somewhat problematic. If we're not aware of his work um, and our dependence, that's a, that's a problem. But he is the third person of the Trinity.
1: I don't think to pray to the Holy Spirit. I pray to God. I pray to Jesus. I thank Jesus for everything. I don't think to give the Holy Spirit
0: the credit. Right. And, and sometimes we, we don't. And one of the things we'll talk about later is uh, actually, I'll go ahead and go with this. Is it appropriate, let me rephrase, is it wrong to sing to the Holy Spirit, to worship the Holy Spirit? And to pray to the Holy Spirit—is it wrong? Would be the question that I want to ask.
2: I would say no. Okay. I'm like so cautious nervous.
0: no. <laughs> we got a really cautious no forever <laughs> recorded on video. <laughs> <I'm> like, no. <laughs> Don't worry. God already had it recorded. <laughs> but just
2: because. I guess I know even just the other previous question that kind of all ties in I guess in my mind it's yes it's three and one right and so I guess in my mind I'm thinking I'm shouting out to all three of them like this is who I'm talking to and so if I'm praising the Holy Spirit I'm also praising Christ and God and so I guess I always have just yes I know there's three but they're also one right so I have always just lumped them together yes all the time if that is that's
0: Right, when you are praising the Trinitarian God, any of the persons of God, it is appropriate. One, it's appropriate. Sorry, it it is not wrong. I'm I'm trying to differentiate between appropriate and wrong, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. It is not wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, it is not wrong to praise the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God. It is not wrong to sing to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. I, I keep toying with whether or not it's appropriate. I don't know if I want to say it's inappropriate, but also I would say it's awkward. Right? It's awkward to sing to the Holy Spirit because a, uh, a pastor that I read last week described the Holy Spirit as Jesus' hype man. Now, that is more modern terminology than we would normally use. What does the Holy Spirit do when we see him at work in the Bible? The Holy Spirit is regularly pointing to Jesus in the Bible. Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself. But even the Son, Christ, as you're reading through John right now, if you're doing the Read the Bible New Testament twice in a year plan, what you're reading right now in John is you're regularly seeing Jesus saying, hey, it's not just me, look at the Father. Who sent me? I and the Father are one. Look at the Father who sent me. So, there's an, within the persons of the Trinity, there's a way in which the Spirit points to the Son who points to the Father. Um, but the Spirit's never really pointing to Himself. Uh, in previous discussion that I was having in July with Jacob and Sam about this, Pastor Sam said, I, I really think of the Holy Spirit like a spotlight. Um, and He's just always shining a spotlight on the work of the Son um, for the glory of God the Father. You know, if if you ever turn and focus the camera on the guy that's running the spotlight, he's always pointing somewhere else. And if you ever look at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, he's never doing this, he's always doing that. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, is to exalt the Son for the glory of God the Father. So I wouldn't say it's totally inappropriate, because we often use the word inappropriate to mean wrong, but I would say it's awkward. Because when we're worshiping the Spirit, the Spirit's saying, well, that's correct, but Let's see the work of the Trinitarian God through the work of the Son, okay? So I think that's a, I put you in a tough position. Is it wrong? No, but is it weird? Yeah. It's a little outside his character to be worshiped on his own um, in that way. And we don't want to divorce the works of we've talked about this extensively already. We don't want to divorce the works of the persons of God and attribute only one thing to one of them. Um, so, but, any other reasons we don't talk about the Holy Spirit as much?
3: talking about the Holy Spirit can be intimidating okay. because so many people um, get who the Holy Spirit is wrong, mm-hmm. and we don't want to um, get it wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't want to get it wrong. There's a lot of things that we can talk about when it comes to the Holy Spirit that become controversial. We'll get into those in two weeks. we we'll get two more weeks to sweat those. Mm-hmm. Okay. For the most part, I don't think anything I'm going with tonight should be in the realm of controversial. Um,
3: I I think what you said earlier is really spot on in the fact that we attribute, falsely attribute things to us when it should be the Holy Spirit. Um, Such as the whole worship discussion you just were asking about. It's the Holy Spirit who gives Mm -hmm. us the ability to worship because if we think of back on our Trinitarian discussion, we worship by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father, and that's the formula of it in our response to God. And I think we would attribute our ability to worship is what we're doing, not what the Spirit is doing through us, or the one giving us the ability to do it in the first place. So, we... Which is kind of a scary thing. We're associating things that God is doing to us, so we're claiming some of those things on
0: ourselves, which is not good to do. <laughs> Similar to Adam and Eve's original sin of making themselves to be God. Yeah, we could go there. We're not too long. Okay, Let, let's talk about in your note packet. Who is the Holy Spirit? So, who is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Matthew chapter three and verse sixteen, I think, is valuable for us to see the the Trinity but also to see the Holy Spirit as that third person of the Trinity. We will do extensive Bible drill in a few minutes, and I'll have all of you probably navigating to different passages if you've got a Bible or an electronic copy with you. But in Matthew chapter 3, we see the Spirit at work in the or present in the baptism of Jesus. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3, And when Jesus was baptized... Okay, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So we have the Son, we have the Spirit descending like a dove, and we have a voice from heaven. So it was not the Holy Spirit speaking, this is my beloved Son, but it wasn't the Father descending, it was the Spirit descending. We see the Trinity in the baptism of Jesus, and we see in particular the Holy Spirit there as God, the third person of the Trinity. Broadly speaking, as we've talked about in our uh, lessons already from the Trinity, but broadly speaking, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the way to think of this is that the Father authors our salvation in many things, the Son accomplishes and the Spirit applies. It is the Spirit that applies the work of the Son, that the Son has accomplished, that, that was authored by the Father. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. So why do we use the word person for the Holy Spirit? I'll go ahead and take off the easy answer because we used the word first person for the Father and the second person for the Son, so I'm going to take the easy answer off. Why do we not have the person of the God, the Father, the person of Christ, the Son, and the force of God, the Holy Spirit?
2: Spirit, I don't think person. I would use helper. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, so when you said why do we use a person? I'm like, well, I don't. Like. We at least <laughs> so. do
0: theologically in the term the third person of the Trinity, is uh-huh. a term that probably was familiar even before our uh, issues or episodes on the, the Trinity. Uh-huh. But thinking of him as the helper, there's other, other New Testament terminology that we can use. But even the word helper points to something about his personhood. Mm-hmm. Why do we use the word? Person, other than we have a first person and second person.
1: Does it have to be another reason?
0: I think there is another reason. There doesn't have to be.
1: <laughs>
0: that is know. sufficient.
1: That's the way you think of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. What do you mean you think of him?
1: Well, I, mean, I think you're
0: right. You I mean, could be right.
1: All the time I've been in church, there were, the referral has been to persons: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Correct. It, it, it's, considered just equal to the others
0: mm-hmm. okay correct other thoughts on this
3: I think it also implies like a completeness
0: okay
1: what do you I mean don't know by that's completeness what you're going for
0: but like person is not a part okay of God okay it's like complete
1: okay
2: it's so. an entity right yeah is that where you're yeah okay
0: wheels are turning maybe a little bit. Anybody Mm -hmm. anybody else want to jump in? It's okay to be wrong.
1: (laughs) Thank you.
3: (laughs) I I would think that um, if he wasn't a person, then he wouldn't be the third or he wouldn't be God. <laughs> okay. He wouldn't be the First. third person. Yes, yeah, so you know where I was about to go with that. Okay. Uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be God because he would be some abstract force and therefore only something God uses, but not part of God himself.
0: Okay. Correct. Could be. I, I, I want to suggest from the way that the Bible talks about the Spirit that the Spirit must be personal and must be the third person of the Trinity, not because there's a first person and a second person, but because the Bible uses personal pronouns and refers to his, I'm going to even use the word personality for a minute. Using a a man concept, a concept of humanity, but I'm going to talk about his personality and his personhood through the pronouns that the Bible uses. So in Acts chapter 10, let's look in Acts chapter 10. Here's an example. Acts chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, "Behold, three people are looking for you. rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Impersonal forces do not do sending. The, there are personal pronouns that were going to be used throughout the New Testament for the Spirit. Um, the, the Bible uses also personal properties. that He is a helper. All right, not just a force, he's a helper. He's a revealer. He's a counselor. He's a comforter. He comforts, he reveals, he counsels, he helps. He can be lied to. And we're going to go to a text in a minute on this. But you can't lie to a force. I mean, go try lying to the wind. You can't, you can't grieve not grieve an impersonal wind. My kids yell, you know, when Jesse was young, he would go and tell the waves how far not to come at the edge of the ocean. It doesn't work, all right? Impersonal beings cannot be grieved, but the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. So the way that the Bible describes What we can do suggests that there is personality. If We want to use some man-centered ideas, that there's personality and personhood to the Spirit. Definitely not this broad force, nebulous, out there, and yet be able to be grieved and be lied to. Um, And when Jesus left his disciples, In John 14 through 16, he's talking to his disciples about, and he says, hey, it's better for you that I go away because when I go away, the helper will come, the helper who by sin from the Father is going to come to you. And Jesus says it's better for them. They've been walking with Jesus footstep by footstep in the words of Hebrew culture, eating the dust of their rabbi, eating meals with him, and he looks to them who have been physically touching them, him, and says, it's better for you that I go away. For that to actually be true for his first disciples, they had to have something that wasn't just this broad impersonal force. There had to be something about the Holy Spirit that was going to fill them even bettering than Jesus was. And yes, I did use bettering as its own word. Even bettering, The Jesus that was beside them was the Jesus inside them through the person of the Spirit. And not just broadly, but personally. By the way, why do we say the Holy Spirit with the word the there? Because we don't say the Jesus the Father. We do talk about the Father, but when we're talking to God the Father, we call upon Him as God, or we call upon Him as Father. We don't say, the Father, we thank you for these things, or we don't say the God when we're ta- praying to God. Why don't we say the Holy Spirit when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, or we're talking to Him even? When we don't say the Jesus. To some degree, he, we, we don't associate a name with Him. So that could be a a good way for doing, describing. Hadn't thought about that. I like it. And I've always thought his name was Holy Spirit, but maybe not. But I've always thought of his name as Holy Spirit, but we always refer to him as the Holy Spirit. Why?
1: Because it isn't really a name. So you'd say the Spirit, the Holy Spirit.
0: I I, I I don't think there's a good answer for this one. I think you're on to the best possible answer. I think the reason that we regularly use the word there at the front, the Holy Spirit, is because we often confuse the Holy Spirit with an impersonal force, as opposed to actually being the third person, the Trinity. I think it reflects some weakness in our thinking that's become normal in our vocabulary. Uh, and really, it's probably weakness in thinking of the generations that have come before us. And now we've heard it so often that we can't say Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit instead of just using the word. Maybe it is because we don't have a name per se, but I think we would, most of us would be comfortable calling the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit. Yes, I just never thought
1: about that way. We don't say the Jesus. Yeah, we don't say the Jesus. When we're talking to him.
0: Maybe
1: just say spirit.
0: It'd be appropriate to say spirit. Spirit of Christ. Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Other biblical terms. We could use biblical terms. Mm It's like "paraclete." We could use terms like counselor. We could use terms Mm -hmm. that... All of those are, by the way, descriptive. um, But we we could use those. But I think some of it... This one was not like a trick question. I've got you. This one's like, I think we get this one wrong most of the time by putting the word the in there, and yet my entire note packet has the word the Holy Spirit, because I knew that somebody would probably be bothered grammatically if I did not put that there. Um, But Nancy, I think your answer is pretty close to sufficient, and I will, uh, it's the best one I've heard, so good job. All right, how do we know the Holy Spirit's God? Uh, Somebody navigate to Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 for me. And then somebody else to Hebrews 9.14. Who's got the Acts passage? Who's going to go there? All right, Julie, I see your hand. Belinda, if you'll go to uh, Hebrews 9.14 for me. And who will go to Psalm 139? Miss Nancy, will you go to Psalm 139? And then Jacob, if you'll go to 1 Corinthians 2. Passage there, 10 and 11. All right. Holy Spirit is God. How do we know the Holy Spirit is God? Read out loud for us Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. And this text does not come out with a one-sentence statement that says the Holy Spirit is God. So I'm going to need you to put on your thinking caps for a minute and describe why this text shows us that the Holy Spirit is God. Go for it.
1: Then Peter said, Ananias,
0: how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some money of some of the money that you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Great. By the way, one of the more, like, vivid passages in the New Testament, when somebody says that you get to the New Testament and God no longer has wrath and doesn't do pretty insane things to his people when they rebel in wicked ways. Just take them to this text, because this very much looks like some of the stuff that would have happened right after the giving of God's law to God's rebellious people in the book of Exodus, as the Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead quickly. Why does this text, why would I say this text teaches us that the Holy Spirit is Okay. both you lied to the
2: Holy Spirit, and they also, said, but you, also, you lied to God.
0: Yep, Dead on. So at the beginning, he says, why is it that you filled your heart, that Satan's filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then at the very end, the recap is, you've not lied to man, but to God. Okay. Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and you've lied to God. When you lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. Not only is the Holy Spirit God, but there are some attributes of God, some classic things that God has that we do not um, uh, that are attributed to the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14.
2: How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God?
0: The Spirit is described as the eternal Spirit. Just as God is eternal, the Spirit is eternal. We are not, Spirit is. Also, something that we are not from Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8.
1: Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in shield, thou art there.
0: Yes. And then the text goes on in verses nine and 10, which I was working with my Iwana kids over the last couple of weeks, and had to go back and memorize because I got behind, on to talk about if I go here or there, or anywhere, the Holy Spirit God's presence is with us and aware of us, and the Holy Spirit is omnipresent all, all, in all places. The Holy Spirit is not missing. He's not unaware either. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10.:
3: These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirits of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirits of God.
0: So the spirit in this text is said is knowing the thoughts of God, um, but also I would suggest knowing the thoughts of man. So as I tell our kids and as I sat with the little girl that I sat with a couple weeks ago um and I always ask them what is sin and they almost always tell me sin is something you do that's bad Um, and I want to go a little further than that and I want to talk to them about how sin is anything you do you say or you think and I use the word that makes God unhappy for a kid like level sin is anything that you do say or think that makes God unhappy how does God know our thoughts? Through the Spirit. Okay? The Spirit knows our thoughts. God knows our thoughts, and the Spirit also knows the thoughts of God. Though we are going to concentrate on the New Testament when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament first. We're going to move pretty quickly into the New Testament, but I want you to see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So uh, Genesis 1-2, right after the first sports reference in the entire Bible, we find a reference to the Holy Spirit, okay? Some of you are already already laughing, (laughs) you know, Genesis 1-1 has the first reference to sports in the Bible, in the big inning, God created the heavens and the earth, Um, so (laughs) baseball is in the Bible and it was not surprisingly found in hell. Uh, So I have no clue, but, you know, there it is. That one's forever on the record as well, so now you know how I feel about cats and baseball. I put them in the same sentence very eagerly. All right, Genesis 1-2. I'll read it for us. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Spirit of God at work, agent of God in creation. Spirit's at work in creation. And the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do some distinguishing between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament actually distinguishes it for us. I will skip to this latter part of your notes, uh, or in a sentence here, I believe in your note packet first. Ezekiel 36, Jacob, if you'll navigate there for us, please, describes the difference in the Holy Spirit in the what would happen in the New Testament from what was happening in the Old Testament. So in Ezekiel 36, we see a difference described in how the Holy Spirit will work in the New Testament age versus how the Holy Spirit did work in the Old Testament age, and we'll let this, what's going to happen, uh, set apart what was happening in the Old Testament first. So Jacob, if you'll read that for us. Yes,
3: uh, verse 25, I will uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the hearts of stone from your flesh and give you, and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay.
0: If God will put his spirit in them, as is twice said in those verses, what does that mean is happening right now? At this time when Ezekiel is writing regarding the Spirit. It means they don't have Holy Spirit. He wouldn't say, I'm going to put my Spirit in you if the Spirit was already in them. That shows that something was going to change, and this is a classic text that talks about the New Covenant, which we see played out in the New Testament. And in particular, the Spirit of God being put inside believers after the work of Christ and his resurrection and ascension plays out in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, and after that, for all believers, I will suggest and show you in a few minutes at the time of salvation. Okay. But for the Spirit to be able to be put in later, meant the Spirit wasn't put in then. So how do we see the, old, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Okay. Can anybody think of any things, without looking down at my notes, or maybe you've already done it and you just want to, like, look really smart because you're going to say what I'm going to say. Um, But what do you see the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? If he's not indwelling believers permanently, what does he do in the Old Testament? What's he up to? The work of God. God. He's always doing the work of God, right? But how do we see him interacting with people? Choose the Spirit of God came upon
1: so-and-so and they did this.
0: Yep, that's correct. It's normally the Spirit of God came upon, and then something awesome happened. And then it doesn't continue to happen. It's not a continual growth. Um, And David would say, take not your Holy Spirit from me. is the language of David. Um, And we see the Holy Spirit come upon, and sometimes people prophesy. We see the Holy Spirit come upon and give special gifts. The gifting of the Holy Spirit to believers in the Old Testament, Is described in different ways. For example, in Deuteronomy 34, 9, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him so the people of Israel obeyed him as they did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua is described as having the spirit of wisdom. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament seems to give gifts of particular seasons, times, or ways, but not indwelling people permanently, as in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit doesn't indwell in the Old Testament, but he does gift, and Joshua was with the spirit of wisdom. In Exodus chapter 28, we see some leaders that were gifted by the Holy Spirit also. In 28.3, speaking about how, what they were going to do to build the priest's garments and then the temple, 28.3 says this, You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. So it's described as a spirit of skill in that case. Over in chapter 31, verse three through five, similar concept here of uh, these Old Testament saints. I filled him with the spirit of God, verse three, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. Okay? And th- that is, speaking of Bezalel, I've filled him with the spirit of God, ability, intelligence, etc., to do crafting. So the, the gift of crafting in the Old Testament was a mark of the spirit of God. Some of you are deeply encouraged because you have the gift of crafting still. And when you exercise it for the glory of the Lord, I would say that there's a good chance that you may be using the skill and the ability that God has put within you for God's glory. But we don't see the Old Testament way in which the Holy Spirit dwells inside all believers as evidence from Ezekiel in particular. But we don't have a full fleshing out of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. You've got hints, you've got shadows, you've got concepts, you've got some stuff you can develop. But we really need to look into the New Testament to understand more of the Holy Spirit, to understand Him more fully, um, and the way in which He works, and the way, in particular, that He works in us. Okay. Yes. Um,
3: so, um, for the when the Spirit uh, was on people in the Old Testament to give them skills. Would you say that that uh, meant there was any salvific manner in that? Or was it just to give them skills? And if it was just to give them skills or knowledge, then can the Spirit still act that way amongst people today who aren't believers? And is that just applying God's sovereignty over their lives, even if it's not for
0: salvation? All right, so four parts on. to that question, something it's like that. Related. Yeah, it does, all related. So, can the Holy Spirit indwell non believers? Can I change your question that way? Well, I'm not saying indwell. Okay. I'd be well, working. But in. if I change your question, I can answer it easily. Yeah. <laughs> okay?
3: You can do what you want with it.
0: Let's put it on to <laughs> it. I'll misuse your words however I desire. Uh, I would say, first, let's say that the Holy Spirit does not indwell non-believers. Let's just first separate this one and say the Holy Spirit does not indwell non-believers. Okay, the Holy Spirit, we would say, dwells within believers, but not non-believers. So is it within the Holy Spirit's ability to gift or cause people to have skill to glorify God in particular ways, even if they are non-believers? So I would say yes with a qualified yes. I would say that Pharaoh in the Old Testament, let's go Old Testament, was a non-believer. I don't think that he was among the redeemed people of God. I think we're all pretty comfortable saying that Pharaoh was not a worshiper of Yahweh. So, and yet, in some way, God not only, in some way, God worked in Pharaoh's heart in a way that brought about glory to God the Father, but that was non salvific for Pharaoh. So, you can say, if you want to, that that was God working in some other way. You could attribute it to some other way, some other agent of God to work in Pharaoh's life, but it would be easily attributable, and probably rightly attributable, to the work of the Holy Spirit on a non-believer in the Old Testament. As you were mentioning earlier, the Holy Spirit
3: applies the work of God,
0: so... If
3: all the work that God does in this world is applied by the Spirit, then and if He's everywhere working, then it's always the Spirit everywhere working, applying God's work right, amongst
0: everyone, even non-believers. Right. Um, I think we could possibly attribute some of the work of God to His angelic beings, relaying His messages as well. Though, so uh, I think there could be other ways to legitimately get there, um, but. I think that the, the best answer, the one I'm most comfortable with, is that the Holy Spirit works in non-salvific ways to do the work of God. So, maybe Jacob will teach the future session on angelology and demonology for us. Um, so, um, all right, Did I get around to all the important parts of that question?
3: the Old Testament and the New Testament and there was just a special new addition now in the New Testament with the actual dwelling or if there's been just a flat change and there's absolutely no similarities as well as trying to get at but I think we discussed it enough
0: Um, let's talk about how we get the Holy Spirit and dwelling the Spirit dwelling within Ephesians 1 Paul writes to the Ephesian church here. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit promised from Ezekiel chapter 36. The Holy Spirit promised by Christ the Son. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This text does not look at the Ephesian church and say, in him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, sometime later, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It does not insert a future baptism of the Holy Spirit that occurred after salvation sometime later to some of them or to all of them but at a subsequent time the concept is when having heard and believed you were sealed not some of you having heard and believed were sealed but all of you having heard and believed were sealed is the implied thing here that all of them have the Holy Spirit as a seal as a guarantee or down payment of inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So how do we get the Holy Spirit at salvation? Having heard and believed, we get the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, another text. By the way, your homework believe that I wrote it down. His homework is to read both uh, two, two articles, but also um, John chapter 14 through 16, noting the way Christ speaks about what the Spirit would do. John 14, verse 16 and 17 says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right. Future tense there. If you want to look at it, some manuscripts do. My Bible's got a note that says is, Um, whether this was looking ahead to the Holy Spirit dwelling in them later or not when John wrote the blurring of tenses on that. But Holy Spirit will be with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit's with the disciples. And here it is says forever, which bridges us into that next question, which is, can we lose the Holy Spirit? And there are a lot of believers that would say we can lose the Holy Spirit. And some of them would actually quote that passage from Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me, would quote David. That was is that David in 51 or 32? I think it's 51 on that one. I think we'll go with it. Um, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And they would quote that and say, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me now. Okay. Well, what does the Bible say? What do we have in the most clear teaching? Well, one, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. The picture of a seal is something that's permanently there, not something temporary. And it's until heaven. It's until then. And in John 14, it's the Holy Spirit who will be with you forever. Contrary to the Son who was going to leave the disciples, the Spirit never would. So the Spirit is described as forever there. So, if we can't lose the Holy Spirit, there are some other biblical texts that suggest there are some things we can do to the Holy Spirit that are not good, though, okay? So, we can't shake him, but what can we do? Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, can I get a volunteer to be in 4 and just keep your finger there because we're going to go to 5 after that. So, 4 and then another volunteer to go First Thessalonians 5.19. So, who's got chapter 4 of Ephesians for me? All right, 4.30 in just a minute. And then who's going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5? Thank you, Ed. Okay. All right. Read out loud for us Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30.
1: And do not chapter grieve four. the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption.
0: Okay. Two points in this one, really valuable for this one. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, so if he says don't do it, there's a good chance that means it's possible to do it, or else he would have to say don't do it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, meaning it's possible to grieve, not lose the Holy Spirit, but we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and yet it's the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So you can grieve him, but you can't lose him because he's still going to be sealed with him even if you grieve him. Don't grieve him. You were sealed with him. Okay? Now let's talk about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Okay, do not quench. So the Spirit can be grieved, and the Spirit can be quenched. So what does it mean? And how do we how do we avoid those things if we don't know what they are? So let's talk about knowing what they are. What does it mean to or how can we grieve or quench the Holy Spirit? Okay, not following his direction would be both an act of grieving and quenching to to a large degree. I I think of quenching as like shutting off the tap. You know, you quench the water by turning off the tap and you're done with the, just cutting loose the power by saying, God, I'm not letting you work in me in this way. And can God super intervene? Absolutely. Okay, not following his direction. What else grieves the Holy Spirit or quenches the Holy Spirit? The material around Ephesians chapter four, typically I would think of grieving the Holy Spirit as like, first thing that comes to mind is like gross, nasty, big sins. Like things that if we were to go down to our third and fourth graders and say, tell me about the worst sins in the Bible. Those things that they don't even know to think of yet and then like, you know, killing people are the things that I think of immediately as like grieving the Holy Spirit. But what Paul says to the Ephesian church right around it is pretty scary in that sense because he says, let no corrupting talk for 429, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion It may give grace to those here and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Paul seems to be locating this concept of grieving the Holy Spirit right between the use of our words and our anger with each other in the body of Christ. It is not next to the list of sins that you don't want your kids to read about. It's like we're grieving the Holy Spirit when we're talking poorly about each other in the body of Christ. We're grieving the Holy Spirit when we're holding on to wrath and anger and slander, which is just speaking, again, poorly of each other. I'm not going to say there's the only ways that you can grieve the Holy Spirit by any means. But it's the concept of not grieving the Holy Spirit is not found in a list of hideous sounding sins. It's found in the sins that are within the body of Christ, which, by the way, might have something to do with it. If it's the Holy Spirit within one of us, within each of us, that unites us together into Christ and gives us communion with each other amongst the fellowship the local church. Maybe a reason why talks about that there. Yeah. Quenching the Holy Spirit. The list isn't quite as clean there over in 1st Thessalonians. Doesn't give us quite as much. It talks about marks of the spirit giving thanks, rejoicing, praying without ceasing, ceasing, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good and stay for every form of evil. It's not quite as much there. I don't read quite as much into the situation there as I would into the Ephesian ones uh, situation but we can grieve the Holy Spirit which by the way this is goes back to that what I originally said you can't grieve an impersonal force you can't upset the wind you can't hurt its feelings but you can grieve the Holy Spirit Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 (laughs) You can quench a person's work to some degree. Yeah. Um, Ephesians chapter five verse eighteen. Uh, who was who had chapter four verse thirty? I'll read five eighteen. Five eighteen says this: Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. So one of the marks of the spirit is his control. And when the spirit is in control, this is the contrast of being drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, is the control under, instead of being under the control of spirits, be under the control of the spirit. As believers, we shouldn't be controlled by spirits, but Spirit. And a spirit of holiness that marks us. One of the ways we see the control of the spirit is through our worship. Together. An encouragement together. Notice the text says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Not just singing to Jesus, but singing to each other. Week and a half out, I'm working on my sermon for November 28th. And talking about what, how do we encourage one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking assembling together. One of the ways that we encourage one another in our gathering together is singing together. We sing songs together about Jesus. One of the marks of the Spirit is worshipful singing, which is why sometimes we think about it. Go back to Sam's question at the beginning of the night. So can we lose the Holy Spirit? I would suggest No. And yet, there are ways that we can grieve and quench, and those concepts do kind of run into the person and the work. That, By the way, also, I, I, th- I find it valuable to think of the fact that we can't get more of the Holy Spirit. The reason I, I think of the personhood, sorry, is helping with the why we can't get more of the Holy Spirit It's because you can't get more of a person. Like, either I'm here or I'm not here. You can't divide me. I'm not partially here. Maybe not intellectually here entirely, but I'm not partially here. You can't divide a person. That may be helpful for you why we can't get more of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we, that we often talk about, though, instead of being able to get more of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can get more control of us. Um, we kind of turn that on its head. Instead of, hey, you can get more of the Holy Spirit, no, the Holy Spirit can get more control of you as you surrender the control of the Spirit. And become... One filling then. Yes. Sorry. Yep, only one filling of the Spirit. All um. those
3: songs where like Holy
1: Spirit come down on us and yeah. stuff like that. Yep. We don't really
0: need that. We don't need the Holy Spirit to come again because He hasn't left. But we can become more aware of His presence. We can, in, in those, in a rightful understanding of those, that what we should be singing and celebrating and saying to God is, God, we're dependent upon Your Spirit. We're in a posture of dependence, recognizing apart from you, I can do nothing. And through your Holy Spirit, you can call me to holiness. And through your Spirit, we can see others trusting in you. And through you, your your Spirit, the fruit is produced, fruit in our lives and in the lives of others. So rightfully, we can call upon the Spirit to exhibit His work in our world. But it would be wrong to suggest that the Holy Spirit has become absent So if you want to think through those, a lot of those songs aren't wrong, but we can think of them wrongly. Um, We can think of them as if the Spirit is absent. Well, what we should be thinking is, God, show your presence through your Spirit. Magnify the Son to the glory of God the Father, through the Spirit calling to mind and personalizing the work of the Son or applying that in individuals' lives and applying the work of the Son that we might become more like Him in our character and in our actions as the Spirit dwells inside us. So those would be right ways, I think, to to be dependent upon the Spirit. And our vocabulary sometimes doesn't fit very well the, the concept that we're trying to go with there. And it's sometimes because we're thinking of force and sometimes we're using some older concepts that are not helpful about losing the Holy Spirit. All right, other things that the Holy Spirit does. We're gonna, we're gonna talk more two weeks out. We're not meeting next week. We're gonna talk more two weeks out about the fruit of the Spirit, and it's not a coconut. We're gonna talk more about the gifts of the Spirit next week. Are uh, two weeks out as well, but I want to describe some of the things that the Holy Spirit does tonight, and then we'll spend some more time on it later. I'm going to give you your fill in the blank because we're running low on time here, let you look most of this stuff up. I'll make a few comments and then take some questions. Um, so what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit inspires the Word. We have the Word of God, the Bible, through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only inspires and provides us the breath of God on paper through human writers, he also illumines and helps us understand and brings to light the, the application of God's word. So the Spirit not only is at work so that we have a Bible, but so that we understand the Bible. John chapter 16 describes the Spirit as taking of Christ and calling to mind the work of Christ. John chapter 14, 26 says that the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom my father, Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you, calling to mind the work of the Son. The Spirit calls to mind the work of the Son even to today. So one of the things that I've I've said a couple of times and some of you have heard me say before is how do you know when it was a Holy Spirit-filled, saturated, Holy Spirit was just active in that worship service when people aren't talking about the Holy Spirit? If you left church talking about the Holy Spirit, there's a good chance it wasn't the Holy Spirit that was being active in that service. Because when Jesus describes what the Holy Spirit's going to do, He didn't say jump in pews and shouting hallelujah, all right? Listen to old Ray Stevens video. The squirrel just has to get loose in the church for that to happen, okay? Anybody else seen that video? Jacob, that's way before your time. You and Elizabeth need the old material for that. Anybody? All right, I didn't see it back there. Have y'all seen that? Okay, that is... That's a a future time, future YouTube, look up uh, Ray Stevens, when the squirrel got loose in the Mississippi church, okay? I don't know that it is particularly theologically sound, um, but it is hilarious. (laughs) John 16, 13, and 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it, to you. So, how do you know that it's a Holy Spirit saturated, empowered service when people aren't talking about the Holy Spirit when they're talking about the Son? So, if everybody's leaving church talking about all the crazy things the Holy Spirit did, it's a good chance it wasn't a Holy Spirit. Because that's not what the real mark of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament was. Again, to use that pastor's terminology, the Holy Spirit's Jesus' hype man. And if he's not hyping Jesus, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Spirit it inspires the Word, it illumines the Word by pointing to the Son. In John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And convict there means to convince of truth. So the Holy Spirit convinces people of truth the truthfulness of their sin, the rightness of God's judgment on them and how Christ has absorbed it. The Spirit, according to Titus chapter 3, verse 5, makes us new creations and helps us walk in step with the patterns and desires for the holiness that God has put within us. The Spirit is the agent of God that we walk in holiness, the holiness of the Son. The Spirit is active in adopting us in salvation similar to the new creation, but active in adopting us. And the Spirit dwells inside us from 1 Corinthians 6, 19, which is a call particularly to holiness. If it's the Spirit of God who is holy, who dwells in you, then you have no business uniting or using your body for anything that does not honor and glorify God because the Spirit dwells inside you. And the Spirit assures us of salvation. Back to Ephesians 1 and Romans 8, that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit assures us of salvation by, again, reminding us that it is the work of Christ the Son in our place is how he assures us of those things. And he brings about the fruit of, And the works of righteousness that are evidence, if we want to use terminology from a couple weeks ago in the sermon I preached, that are evidence of our relationship with God are brought about by the Spirit's work in us. Jacob, did you want to jump in with something? Uh,
3: Well, I I wanted to ask a question, but it might be an explosive type of question, or I don't know if you want to get involved in it as much. Okay. So, uh, what does the Spirit do? It points Two, three, and you could apply the same type of question is so look at the second one Spirit illumines the word. So the question is if someone doesn't understand the Bible, does that mean the Spirit isn't at work in them? Or you could apply that same question to three if the Spirit isn't convicting, does that mean the Spirit is not work in them? And you can apply those type of questions all the way down. Those so I would separate, uh, I would
0: answer differently a little bit, verse 2 and 3. Uh, I would say that it is possible for somebody to understand the words of the Bible intellectually. Um, I don't think that the, I think that the Bible is written in the English language and translations through the English language that we can understand. Whether or not you are convicted Of the Spirit through the reading of the Word, I think it's possible to understand the Word, but not the way in which it points to Jesus with the spiritual significance that should occupy our heart. So, but I would say that this for the conviction of sin, I think, is a explicitly Christian thing um, that requires the Spirit. I would not. I would say somebody can be convinced they have done wrong without the Spirit. For example, I think that uh, somebody that commits an act of murder might know that it is wrong, but not that it is wrong before an eternally altogether holy God.
3: Does someone need to be convicted of sin in order to Yes. So it's not
0: just an exclusively
3: Christian thing. So can
0: you be, are you separating the time of conviction from the time of conversion? So, number three,
3: you're saying the Spirit convicts and that's for Christians. And so I'm saying, well, if the Spirit convicts, has to convict us in order to first become a Christian, then it, and the Spirit convicts those unbelievers to become Christians, and it's not just exclusively Christians is what I'm saying.
0: I think it is... I will will rephrase my answer because it has to be logically prior. If you can be convicted of sin, to some degree, the conviction of sin and all that the Spirit is doing, the conviction of righteousness and judgment in John John 16, is also the work of the Son. But um, is it possible for somebody to understand that they have sinned against an altogether holy God prior to their belief in Christ the Son? might be really, really, really close to each other in many cases. Um, but also, you m- possibly could look at the historical. I don't know. You're the Martin Luther guy who preached on Luther recently. Was Luther convicted by the Spirit prior to Luther's conversion? I would say, of course,
3: yes. Okay. We are convicted of our sins before. But then the question is, well, if some people are not convicted, again, going to that same question, um, then what does that mean then of the Spirit? working in them and that leads to other discussions and that's why I'm saying it's explosive. I don't think
2: it's a lack of even I think he's working but spirit can be working but we can still choose or not whether or not to listen I mean so I feel like that's and my understanding is it's it's a it's yeah we can hear it and I can be I can be told it and I can understand it but I can just sit here and just say Well sorry, friend, that's not for me. And walk away from that, like and just ignore it and choose to ignore it. So that's that's how I understand it. Some would
0: separate whether or not you can surrender to the work of the spirit or not or